0: Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lavren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lavren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset. Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book 1. The Wreath Part 2. The Wreath Chapter 6 Afterward, Kristen could not remember everything that Brother Edvin had said to her, but she left him with a strange feeling of clarity and serene peace in her soul. Before, she had struggled with a hollow and secret fear, trying to defy it. Her sin had not been so great. Now she felt that Edvin had shown her clearly and lucidly that she had indeed sinned, that such and such were her sins, and that she would have to take them upon her shoulders and try to bear them with patience and dignity. She strove to think of Erland without impatience, in spite of the fact that he had sent no word and she missed his caresses. She simply had to be faithful and full of kindness toward him. She thought about her parents, and promised herself that she would repay all their love after they had first recovered from the sorrow that she was going to cause them by breaking with the Difrin people. And she thought most about Brother Edwin's advice that she should not seek solace by looking at the failings of others. She felt herself growing humble and kind, and soon realized how easy it was for her to win the friendship of others. At once she felt consoled that it was not so difficult, after all, to get along with people and then she thought that it shouldn't be so difficult for her and Erland either. Up until the day when she gave Erland her promise, she had always tried diligently to do everything that was right and good, but she had done everything at the bidding of other people. Now she felt that she had grown up from maiden to woman. This was not just because of the passionate secret caresses she had received and given. She had not merely left her father's guardianship and subjected herself to Erlons will. Brother Edwin had impressed on her the responsibility of answering for her own life and for Erlons as well, and she was willing to bear this burden with grace and dignity. So she lived among the nuns during the Christmas season. During the beautiful services and amidst the joy and peace, she no doubt felt herself unworthy but she consoled herself with the belief that the time would soon come when she would be able to redeem herself again. But on the day after New Year's, Sir Andres Dara arrived unexpectedly at the convent together with his wife and all five children. They were going to spend the last part of the Christmas holidays with friends and kinsmen in town, and they came to ask Kristen to join them at the place where they were staying for several days. I've been thinking, my daughter, said Fru Anyard that you probably wouldn't mind seeing some new faces by now. The Diefren people were staying at a beautiful house that was part of an estate near the bishop's citadel. Sir Andres's nephew owned it. There was a large room where the servants slept and a magnificent loft room with a brick fireplace and three good beds. Sir Andres and Fru Anyard slept in one of the beds, along with their youngest son, Gudmund, who was still a child. Kristen and their two daughters, Astrid and Sigrid, slept in the second bed, and in the third slept Simon and his older brother, Geert Andresen. All of Sir Andres's children were good-looking, Simon the least so, and yet people still considered him handsome. And Kristen noticed even more than when she had been at the Diefren Manor the year before that both his parents and his four siblings listened closely to Simon, and did everything he wished. All his kinsmen loved each other heartily, but agreed without rancor to place Simon foremost. These people led a joyful and happy life, going to one of the churches each day to make their offerings, meeting to drink among friends each evening, and allowing the young to play and dance. Everyone showed Kristen the greatest kindness, and no one seemed to notice how little joy she felt. At night, when the candles were put out in the loft and everyone had gone to bed, Simon would get up and come over to where the maidens lay. He would sit for a while on the edge of the bed, speaking mostly to his sisters, but in the dark he would sneak his hand up to Kristen's breast and let it stay there. She would lie there, sweating with indignation. Now that her sense for such matters was so much keener, she realized that there were many things that Simon was both too proud and too shy to say to her, once he noticed that she didn't want to go into such topics. And she felt a strange, bitter anger toward him, because it seemed to her that he was trying to make himself seem a better man than the one who had taken her, even though he had no idea of the other man's existence. But one evening when they had been out dancing at another estate, Astrid and Sigrid stayed behind and were going to sleep with a foster sister. Late that night, when the people from Diefren had gone to bed in the loft, Simon came over to Kristen's bed and climbed in. He lay on top of the furs. Kristen pulled the covers up to her chin and crossed her arms tightly over her chest. After a moment, Simon reached out his hand to touch her breasts. She felt the silk embroidery at his wrists, so she realized that he had not undressed. You're just as shy in the dark as in the daylight, Kristen, said Simon with a chuckle. Surely you'll let me hold your hand, won't you? he asked, and Kristen gave him her fingertips. "'Don't you think we might have a few things to talk about, now that we have the chance to be alone for a little while?' he said. And Kristen thought that now she would be able to speak, so she agreed, but then she could not utter a word. "'Can I come under the furs?' he asked again. "'It's cold in the room,' and he slipped in between the furs and the woolen blanket she had over her. He crooked one arm behind her head, but in such a way that he did not touch her, and they lay there like that for a while. "'You're not an easy person to woo, either,' said Simon after a pause, and then laughed in resignation. "'I promise you I won't so much as kiss you if you don't want me to, but surely you can talk to me, can't you?' Kristen moistened her lips with the tip of her tongue, but she still remained silent. "'It seems to me that you're lying here trembling,' Simon continued. Is it because you have something against me, Kristen? She didn't think that she could lie to Simon, so she said, No, but nothing more. Simon lay there a little longer, trying to get a conversation started. But finally he laughed again and said, I see that you think I should be satisfied with this, that you have nothing against me, for tonight at least, and that I should even be happy. It's strange how proud you are too, but you must give me a kiss all the same. Then I'll go and not plague you any longer. He took his kiss, sat up, and set his feet on the floor. Kristen thought that now she would manage to tell him what had to be said, but he had already left her bed, and she could hear him getting undressed. The next day, Fru Anyard was not as friendly toward Kristen as she usually was, The young maiden realized that she must have heard something and felt that the betrothed girl had not received her son in the manner that his mother felt she should have. Later in the afternoon, Simon mentioned that he was thinking of trading for a horse that was owned by one of his friends. He asked Kristen whether she would like to go along and watch. She said yes, and they went into town together. The weather was clear and beautiful. It had snowed a little during the night, but now the sun was shining, and it was still so cold that the snow squeaked under their feet. Kristen enjoyed getting out in the cold and walking, so when Simon had found the horse that he was thinking of, she talked to him about it in the most lively manner. She had some knowledge of horses, since she had always spent so much time with her father. And this one was a fine animal, a mouse-gray stallion with narrow black stripes along his back and a short-clipped mane. He was well-built and spirited, but quite small and slight. "'He won't last long under a fully armed man,' said Kristen. "'No, but that's not what I had in mind, either,' said Simon. "'He led the horse out to the open area behind the farm, "'let him run and walk, rode the animal himself, "'and then had Kristen ride him, too. "'They stayed outdoors in the white pasture for a long time. "'Finally, as Kristen was feeding bread to the horse from her hand, Simon leaned against the animal with his arm over his back and said suddenly, It seems to me, Kristen, that you and my mother have been rather cross with each other. I haven't meant to be cross with your mother, she said, but I can't find much to say to Fru Anyard. You don't seem to find much to say to me either, said Simon. I won't force myself on you, Kristen, before the time comes. But things can't go on like this. I never get a chance to talk to you. I have never been talkative, said Kristen. I know that myself, and I don't expect you to think it a great loss if things don't work out between us. You know what I think about that subject, replied Simon, looking at her. Kristen blushed red as blood, and she was startled to find that she was not averse to Simon Dara's wooing. After a moment, he said, Is it Arna Geerdsen, Kristen, that you think you can't forget? Kristen stared at him. Simon continued, and his voice was kind and understanding. "'I won't blame you for that. You grew up as siblings, and barely a year has passed. But you can depend on this. I want only what's best for you.' Kristen's face had grown quite pale. Neither of them spoke as they walked through town in the twilight. At the end of the street, in the greenish-blue sky, The crescent of the new moon hung with a bright star in its embrace. One year, thought Kristen, and she could hardly remember when she had last given Arna a thought. It gave her a fright. Maybe she was a loose, vile woman. A year since she had seen him lying on the bier in the death chamber, when she thought she would never be happy again. She whimpered silently in fear at the inconstancy of her own heart and at the transitory nature of all things. Erland! Erland! Would he forget her? But worse yet was that she might ever forget him. Sir Andres and his children went to the great Christmas celebration at the king's castle. Kristen saw all the finery and splendor, and they were also invited into the hall where King Hawkins sat with Fru Isabel Bruce, the widow of King Eirik. Sir Andres went forward to greet the king, while his children and Kristen remained behind. She thought of everything that Fru Asild had told her, and she remembered that the king was Erlon's close kinsman. Their fathers' mothers had been sisters, and she was Erlon's wife by seduction. She had no right to stand here, especially not among these good, fine people, the children of Sir Andres. Suddenly, she saw Erlon Niklausen, he had stepped forward in front of Queen Isabel, and was standing there with his head bowed and his hand on his breast while she spoke a few words to him. He was wearing the brown silk surcoat that he had worn to their banquet rendezvous. Kristen stepped behind Sir Andres's daughters. When Anyard some time later escorted the three maidens over to the Queen, Kristen could not see Erland anywhere, but she didn't dare raise her eyes from the floor. She wondered if he was standing somewhere in the hall. She thought she could feel his eyes on her, but she also thought that everyone was staring at her, as if they could tell that she was standing there like a liar with the gold wreath on her hair, which fell loosely over her shoulders. He was not in the hall where the young people were served dinner and where they danced after the tables had been cleared away. Kristen had to dance with Simon that evening. Along one wall stood a built-in table, and that's where the king's servants set ale and mead and wine all night long. Once, when Simon took Kristen over there and drank a toast to her, she saw that Erland was standing quite close to her, behind Simon. He looked at her, and Kristen's hand shook as Simon gave her the goblet, and she raised it to her lips. Erland whispered fiercely to the man who was with him, a tall, heavy-set but handsome older man who shook his head dismissively with an angry expression. In the next moment, Simon led Kristen back to the dance. She had no idea how long that dance lasted. The ballad seemed endless, and every moment was tedious and painful with longing and unrest. At last it was over, and Simon escorted her over to the table for drinks again. One of his friends approached and spoke to him, leading him away a few paces over to a group of young men. Then Erlan stood before her. "'I have so much I want to say to you,' he whispered. "'I don't know what to say first.' "'In Christ's name, Kristen, how are things with you?' he asked hastily, for he noticed that her face had turned as white as chalk. She couldn't see him clearly. It was as if there was running water between their faces. He picked up a goblet from the table, drank from it, and handed it to Kristen. She thought it was much too heavy, or that her arm had been pulled from its socket. She couldn't manage to raise it to her lips. "'Is that how things stand?' "'That you'll drink with your betrothed, but not with me?' asked Erlan softly. "'But Kristen dropped the goblet and swooned forward into his arms. "'When she woke up, she was lying on a bench with her head in the lap of a maiden she didn't know. "'They had loosened her belt and the brooch on her breast. "'Someone was slapping her hands, and her face was wet. "'She sat up. "'Somewhere in the circle of people around her she saw Erlan's face, pale and ill, She felt weak herself, as if all her bones had melted, and her head felt huge and hollow. But somewhere in her mind, a single thought, clear and desperate, shone. She had to talk to Erland. Then she said to Simon Dara, who was standing close by, It must have been too hot for me. There are so many candles burning in here, and I'm not accustomed to drinking so much wine. Are you all right now? asked Simon. You frightened everyone. Perhaps you would like me to take you home. I think we should wait until your parents leave, said Kristen calmly. But sit down here. I don't feel like dancing anymore. She patted the cushion beside her. Then she stretched out her other hand to Erland. Sit down here, Erland Niklausen. I didn't have a chance to give you my full greeting. Ingeborg was just saying lately that she thought you had forgotten all about her. She saw that he was having a much more difficult time composing himself than she was. It cost her great effort to hold back the tender little smile that threatened to appear on her lips. "'You must thank the maiden for still remembering me,' he said, stammering. "'And here I was so afraid that she had forgotten me!' Kristen hesitated for a moment. She didn't know what message she could bring from the flighty Ingebirg that would be interpreted correctly by Erland. Then bitterness rose up inside her for all those months of helplessness, and she said, "'Dear Erland, did you think that we maidens would forget the man who so magnificently defended our honor?' She saw that he looked as if she had struck him, and she regretted it at once when Simon asked what she meant. Kristen told him of her adventure with Ingebirg out in the Ikaberg woods. She noticed that Simon was not pleased.' Then she asked him to go in search of Fru Anjord, to see if they would be leaving soon. She was tired after all. When he had gone, she turned to look at Erland. It's odd, he said in a low voice. How resourceful you are. I wouldn't have thought it of you. I've had to learn to conceal things as you might well imagine, she said somberly. Erland breathed heavily. He was still quite pale. Is that it? he whispered but you promised to go to my friends if that should come about. God knows I've thought of you every single day, about whether the worst had happened. I know what you mean by the worst, replied Kristen tersely. You needn't worry about that. It seems worse to me that you would not send me a word of greeting. Can't you understand that I'm living there with the nuns like some strange bird? She stopped because she could feel the tears rising. Is that why you're with the different people now? he asked. Then she grew so full of despair that she couldn't answer. She saw Fru Anyard and Simon appear in the doorway. Erlan's hand lay on his knee close to her own, but she could not touch it. "'I have to talk to you,' he said fiercely. "'We haven't said a word to each other of what we should have talked about.' "'Come to the Mass at the Maria Church after the last day of the Christmas season,' Kristen said hastily, as she stood up and stepped forward to meet the others." Fru Anyard was quite loving and kind toward Kristen on the way home, and she helped the maiden into bed herself. Kristen didn't have a chance to speak to Simon until the following day. Then he said, How is it that you would agree to convey messages between this Erland and Ingeborg Philippus' daughter? You should not lend a hand in this matter, if they have some secret business between them. I don't think there's anything behind it, said Kristen. She's just a chatterbox. I thought you would have been more sensible— "'said Simon, than to venture into the woods "'and out onto roads alone with that magpie. "'But Kristen reminded him with some fervor "'that it was not their fault they had gone astray. "'Simon didn't say another word. "'The next day the Diefren people escorted her back to the convent "'before setting off for home themselves. "'Erlant came to Vespers at the convent church every day for a week, "'but Kristen didn't have the chance to exchange a single word with him. She felt as if she were a hawk that sat chained to a roost with a hood pulled over its eyes. She was also unhappy about every word they had said to each other at their last meeting. That was not the way it was supposed to have been. It didn't help that she told herself it had happened so suddenly for both of them that they hardly knew what they were saying. But one afternoon, at dusk, a beautiful woman who looked like the wife of a townsman appeared in the parlatory. She asked for Kristin Lovren's daughter, and said that she was the wife of a clothing merchant. Her husband had just arrived from Denmark with some fine cloaks, and Osman Bjorgolfsen wished to give one of them to his niece, so the maiden was to go with her to select it herself. Kristin was allowed to accompany the woman. She thought it unlike her uncle to want to give her a costly gift, and peculiar that he would send a stranger to get her. At first the woman said little. "'replying only briefly to Kristen's questions. "'But when they had walked all the way into town, "'she suddenly said, "'I don't want to fool you, lovely child, that you are. "'I'm going to tell you how things truly stand "'so you can decide for yourself. "'It wasn't your uncle who sent me, but a man. "'Maybe you can guess his name, "'and if you can't, then you shouldn't come with me. "'I have no husband, "'and I have to make a living for myself and mine "'by keeping an inn and serving ale.' So I can't be too afraid of either sin or servants, but I will not let my house be used for purposes of deceiving you within my walls. Kristen stopped, her face flushed. She felt strangely hurt and ashamed on Erlon's behalf. The woman said, I will accompany you back to the convent, Kristen, but you must give me something for my trouble. The knight promised me a large reward, but I was also beautiful once, and I too was deceived and then you can remember me in your prayers tonight. They call me Brynhild Pfluga. Kristen took a ring from her finger and gave it to the woman. That was kind of you, Brynhild, but if the man is my kinsman, Erland Niklausen, then I have nothing to fear. He wants me to reconcile him with my uncle. You will not be blamed, but thank you for warning me. Brynhild Pfluga turned away to hide her smile. She led Kristen through the alleys behind Clement's church and north toward the river. A few small, isolated farms were situated on the bank. They walked between several fences, and there came Erlon to meet them. He glanced around and then took off his cape and wrapped it around Kristen, pulling the hood forward over her face. "'What do you think of this ruse?' he asked quickly in a low voice. "'Do you think I've done wrong? But I had to talk to you.' It won't do much good for us to think about what's right and what's wrong, said Kristen. Don't talk like that, implored Erland. I take the blame. Kristen, I've longed for you every day and every night, he whispered close to her ear. A shudder passed through her as she briefly met his glance. She felt guilty because she had been thinking about something besides her love for him when he looked at her in that way. Brynhild Fluga had gone on ahead. When they reached the inn, Erland asked Kristen, Do you want to go into the main room, or should we talk upstairs in the loft? As you please, replied Kristen. It's cold up there, said Erland softly. We'll have to get into the bed. Kristen merely nodded. The instant he had closed the door behind them, she was in his arms. He bent her this way and that like a wand, blinding her and smothering her with kisses. As he impatiently tore both cloaks off her and tossed them to the floor. Then he lifted the girl in the pale convent dress in his arms, pressing her to his shoulder, and carried her over to the bed. Frightened by his roughness and by her own sudden desire for this man, she put her arms around him and buried her face in his neck. It was so cold in the loft that they could see their own breath like a cloud of smoke in front of the little candle standing on the table but there were plenty of blankets and furs on the bed, covered by a great bearskin, which they pulled all the way up over their faces. She didn't know how long she had lain like that in his arms when Erland said, Now we must talk about those things that have to be discussed, my Kristen. I don't dare keep you here long. I'll stay here the whole night if you want me to, whispered Kristen. Erland pressed his cheek to hers. Then I would not be much of a friend to you. Things are bad enough already, but I won't have people gossiping about you because of me. Kristen didn't reply, but she felt a twinge of pain. She didn't understand how he could say such a thing, since he was the one who had brought her here to Brynhild Fluga's house. She didn't know how she knew it, but she realized that this was not a good place, and he had expected that everything would proceed just as it did, for he had a cup of mead standing inside the bed drapes. I've been thinking continued Erland, that if there's no other alternative, then I'll have to take you away by force to Sweden. Duchess Ingeborg received me kindly this autumn and spoke of the kinship between us. But now I'm paying for my sins. I've fled the country before, you know, and I don't want you to be mentioned as that other one's equal. Take me home to huseby with you, said Kristen quietly. I can't bear to be separated from you and to live with the maidens in the convent. "'Surely both your kinsmen and mine "'will be reasonable enough "'that they'll allow us to be together "'and become reconciled with them.' "'Erland hugged her tight and moaned, "'I can't take you to Husaby, Kristen.' "'Why can't you?' she asked in a whisper. Aline came back this fall,' he said after a moment. "'I can't make her leave the farm,' he continued angrily. "'Not unless I carry her by force out to the sleigh "'and drive her away myself. "'And I don't think I could do that.' She brought both of our children home with her. Kristen felt as if she were sinking deeper and deeper. In a voice that was brittle with fear, she said, I thought you had parted from her. I thought so too, replied Erland curtly. But she apparently heard in Oosterdahl, where she was living, that I was thinking of marriage. You saw the man I was with at the Christmas banquet. That was my foster father, Bard Paterson of Hastnis. I went to him when I returned from Sweden. I visited my kinsman Heming Alfsson, in Saltvik, too. I told them that I wanted to get married now, and asked them to help me. That must be what Aline heard. I told her to demand whatever she wanted for herself and the children. But they don't expect Sigurd, her husband, to survive the winter, and then no one can prevent us from living together. I slept in the stables with Hoftor and Ulv, and Aline slept in the house in my bed. I think my men had a good laugh behind my back. Kristen couldn't say a word. After a moment, Erland went on. You know, on the day when our betrothal is formally celebrated, she'll have to realize that it will do her no good, that she has no power over me any longer, but it will be bad for the children. I hadn't seen them in a year. They're good-looking children, and there's little I can do to secure their situation. It wouldn't have helped them much, even if I had been able to marry their mother. Tears began to slide down Kristin's cheeks. Then Erlon said, Did you hear what I said? That I have spoken to my kinsmen? And they were pleased that I want to marry. Then I told them that it was you I wanted, and no one else. And weren't they pleased about that? asked Kristin at last, timidly. Don't you see? said Erlon gloomily that there was only one thing they could say. They cannot and they will not ride with me to speak to your father until this agreement between you and Simon Andersen has been dissolved. It hasn't made things any easier for us, Kristen, that you have celebrated Christmas with the different people. Kristen broke down completely and began to sob quietly. She had no doubt felt that there was something unwise and ignoble about her love, and now she realized that the blame was hers. She shivered with cold as she got out of bed a short time later, and Erland wrapped both cloaks around her. It was now completely dark outside, and Erland accompanied her to Clement's churchyard, then Brynhild escorted her, the rest of the way to Nannesetter.